Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But I think it's because people want to be the boss they wish they had. Um, mm. So that, at least that's my, my philosophy to, to, uh, to leadership. Like when I, when I started doing leadership, um, I was confused and <laughs> nervous about it. And then um, I, uh, I spoke to a coach and she said, like, listen, just be, you're going to lead people that are like you, but maybe like two years ago or maybe with some uh, less experience and be the person that you wish you had at that time. And um, I think for me, one of the things that I noticed when I was doing more PM work or even when I was doing engineering work is that um, I could deal very poorly with people that had a lot of opinions about things uh, and were telling me that their opinion was right while mm -hmm. I was doing the work all the time and I was getting gathering the insights all the time and I knew more about the users maybe. So um, yeah, once I kind of grew into my role, that's something that I've tried to, to take along. Yarek, Aisha, Vera, two episodes every week. Beancast, product innovation and UX design podcast. What's up everyone? It's Leancast again. I don't know how many episodes we have recorded so far, but what I'm seeing is that whenever we publish, the episode gets over 100 listens in the first few days. So thank you a lot. It seems like some people following us. Uh, and each time, this is a sort of a backhand for the more we get interaction, energy from you, the, it gives us more energy to go after cool people like Sam today in our conversation and have really cool uh, podcasts for you. So Sam is, uh, I think, I believe I could brand you as a maker of things. He is a software engineer turned into a product lead. He is the head of product at VidIO, been with VTransfer for quite some time as well. Generally speaking, he has a very interesting career path, which I would love for him to sort of like walk us through his journey up until now as well. So he's one of those hands-on people I bump into. And it's especially, I can say it why I think it would get the point across. Uh, we use Read.io. Read.io is an app marketing tool that we use. It's essential tool in our marketing stack and boy oh boy in the past two years this product has evolved for better and we see the improvement and how it's improving our workflow as well to the point that i got very curious to see who is behind this product and with a bit of a search bump into sam on twitter back and forth back and forth we are here together thanks sam for coming on the podcast how are you feeling today Good, good. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. And uh, yeah, thank you for, for using Veed as well. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what we do on a daily basis. It's a fantastic product. So before we jump into Veed, uh, craft our product development, management, lead, I really would like to just sort of like get a feel for how you ended up here, like sort of your journey from the start. You define the starting point. <laughs> and walk us through it now. Sure, sure. So I've always been uh, interested in technology and always been kind of hacking and building stuff. And yeah, I think when I got kind of near the end of high school, it was kind of the, 
the iPhone app gold rush. It felt like a lot of company. Everybody was kind of becoming a millionaire overnight. So I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. So I built a lot of apps, started a lot of little companies. Sometimes we raised a little money. Sometimes we partnered up with other people. But uh, all of those failed. So I, uh, I, I, I failed a lot. And then at some point, I was like, actually, I got a, you know, I built up a network. And that was really cool. And I was doing some freelancing on the side to kind of make some money. And then uh, I was like, okay, I, maybe, maybe I need to join a company. Maybe I need to actually get a proper job so I can learn from others. So started doing uh, jobs and then that kind of made me turn into engineering because that was my most valuable skill at the time. So I was doing a lot of like iOS apps and then web stuff. So then at a certain point, I joined this company called uh, Airtime. It was, it's still around. It's a video chat startup in New York. And um, it was founded by Sean Parker, who's like... Um, not sure if you've seen a social network, but he's played by Justin Timberlake. He, he worked at Facebook and he also started Napster. So moved move to the US and there I actually found out that uh, product management was a job. Uh, before that, I didn't really know that. Um, I, I, I don't know how I never realized, but it was just um, something I didn't know about. And once I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is actually what got me into tech, like figuring out what we need to build, building those solutions. So it's like, okay, this is, uh, this is super cool. So I transitioned into that role and then moved back to Amsterdam to join WeTransfer. And at the time, WeTransfer was quite a small company. I don't really know how many people we had, but it was, they don't, didn't really have a product department. They just had some engineers building the site and that kind of was it. And then. I joined and a lot of other people joined. They, they, they recently raised funding and together we really built out the product department there. So yeah, it was super cool. I had a blast there, built some new products, improved some existing products, um, did a lot of, a little bit of everything. And it was really exciting to kind of see a company grow from like, I don't know, 30 people to a couple hundred and see all of the things that happened there. And then at the end of, of WeTransfer, I was... I felt like I wanted to do go through that ride again, and I also felt like I wanted to kind of dive into a, a new new problem space. Uh, so Feed reached out, uh, Saba, the founder. I knew him through Twitter, and he started, uh, you know, we started talking. And yeah, I don't know. I, from the moment we started talking, I was. It's like you know, you're in love. You can't really sleep. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't really stop thinking about it. I was like. Feed is such a, at the time it was, a, it was growing really fast, but the product was, yeah, to be frank, a little shit. And I felt like I could do a lot there and there was a lot of exciting things to do. And yeah, that's about two years ago. And the company, I don't know, I think we, we had 20 people then, and now we have like 150 or 160 people. So the company grew a lot. The problems we have changed a lot. We managed to ship a lot of exciting things, but there's also still so much so much to do uh, so that's really exciting so yeah that's that's my my story in short like before we jump into it because i have a lot of curiosity i'm sort of like emotionally attached to this product because we created a lot of clips <laughs> you know so i i think we could go into that i mean as much as you know the company policies allow and stuff to talk about especially i would like to get you like you know um your approach to product development because it's a very very ambitious product 
product, you potentially could cover the entire marketing needs of an organization you, like, within, within wheat uh, products and futures. So it's very exciting to talk about wheat. But you said something really important to me, at least, uh, especially early on during your exploration phase and app gold rush and like building and making and you know everyone did that right. Uh, you said like you you failed a lot, but you built a network, which I think is very important as much as like you know anything else. W- what do you mean by building a network? How is that important for an entrepreneur to have a solid network around what he's doing? Yeah, I think um, it's one of my my strongest assets, if I'm if I'm honest. Like I think a lot of people they think the better you get at something, the more mm. opportunities you will you will get. But honestly, uh, it's really about the people you know and the people you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I actually didn't know this uh, because one when you're starting out in the, the with these types of jobs, you don't really know the value. Uh, you kind of see that retrospectively. But yeah, I just got along with a lot of people um, mm-hmm. in this industry, met a lot of people, and that some of those people became super successful. So that was really nice because then I could work with them in the future. And other people um, I've collaborated with, or they're working at Feed now, or stuff like that. So an example is like I was doing all of these hackathons and little apps and and fun things, and there were a lot of events in Amsterdam in the, at the time. And there I met uh, Nalden, who's the founder of WeTransfer. Um, and, you know, when, when WeTransfer was, or actually a previous company of him, his was, was taking off, he asked me to build some stuff for him. That's how we got to know each other better. And then, you know, he gave me a lot of opportunities in the future. And I think that's, that's something I've, I've seen very often. Like you meet people and quite, uh, maybe it's work-related, but it's quite casual. And then later on, you know, if you want to build an app, who are you going to ask? The first person you're going to ask is, is maybe somebody you've already met. And um, yeah, network building a network is crucial. And I think it sounds sometimes like it's like cold messaging people on LinkedIn, but it can also just be, I don't know, talking about stuff that you find exciting, like we're doing right now. And that's how you kind of slowly build out your, your, your group, your posse. A hundred percent. I think it's such a under underestimated. So like recently, I sort of like not. I haven't officially announced it, but I stopped being so active on LinkedIn, and I'm like becoming more active on Twitter because LinkedIn is packed with spamming emails and messages. <laughs> and like, like as if you want to really genuinely like build a relationship or want to talk to someone on LinkedIn, they they would probably because I think. If someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn, it's like, what do they want to offer to me? So should I, wait for, <laughs> should I wait for the first, like, when are they going to speak? But like Twitter is sort of like a, like a space for crafty people to go and like talk and like, you know, it just, I feel like there is like less pressure to like sales thing on Twitter. So now I'm becoming more active. Actually, that's how we got to know each other on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're spot on. I think Twitter is more a place that is about shared interest and not mm-hmm. really like business interest. And I don't have a lot of followers on Twitter, maybe like, I don't know, 1,500 or something. Not mm-hmm. a very high number. But what I noticed is that most of my jobs, I've met the, the people that I've worked for through Twitter. And like... Um, a lot of the people that are currently working, for example, for Veet, 
I've met through Twitter. I just was like, hey, that's a PM sharing really exciting stuff. Maybe, maybe I should reach out to them. And, you know, from one thing comes another thing and they start working for us. So I don't know, I don't yeah, know if you crazy. knew that unwantedly, I think you gave some hiring tips to recruiting tips to companies. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can talk about this for ages. You know, growing, growing feet. I've basically been a recruiter for the past, past two years. Like, do some product stuff every now and then, but it's a lot about hiring and recruitment. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, let's let's jump right into this because you are a you are a I see you as a craftsman. You are a software developer turned into a product lead, right? How did this transition change your responsibility or like evolve your responsibilities? Can you just walk us through that? Yeah, yeah. I think as a software engineer, you're you're always building stuff, and mm. that's on the one end quite exciting because it's really fulfilling to be coding something and you see your work on the screen, and getting the details right is really fun. But I noticed, for me at least, there was kind of a gap. Like I noticed that I I was building things that I didn't really believe in, or mm -hmm. the the worst thing was like fixing bugs all the time. Uh, I I didn't really like that. I I was actually way more interested in like. I was listening to podcasts and reading books about like how businesses are built, how to build great software. And that made me, that that's very exciting to me. I, I love talking and thinking about those things. So then when I transitioned into product management, I suddenly didn't, I wasn't allowed to program anymore. And it was much more about, okay, what is the best next step for us at this mm -hmm. right moment? And how can we best spend our time? And that, that kind of challenge I find quite exciting uh the, the 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 dark side of it is that product management is less in a way less fulfilling day to day um i feel like uh the product is always not yet there where i want it to be mm -hmm. and there's not that kind of fulfillment which you have with with engineering where you're like you see something working and it gives you a lot of energy it's uh i often the, the thing i see more is like stuff not working or i see i, I look more ahead so, so that part of it is sometimes a little draining, but yeah, I've gotten used to it now. Do you have like sort of like 6 p.m. or like midnight that you roll your sleeves up and then do some throw some codes in there, like or mess around with some other codes? Yeah, man, totally. <laughs> I'm like, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I do, I, I have a little side project and there I, I, I do some programming still, which, which I really cherish. It's really fun. I, I suck at it now. That's also uh, kind of funny. Like I'm just Googling stuff and trying to hack it together. Uh, and then also I'm just building a lot of physical stuff. I'm like, I, I get a lot of energy out of creating mm -hmm. and at, at Vite I do that at like a very big scale and that's really exciting but that mm -hmm. also means a lot of communication and meetings and hassle and uh, in my free time I just create small scale and it's just me in the computer or me and uh, I don't know a track saw and a drill and just uh, building some stuff yeah I love that that's really cool. I feel, I feel, I feel that because you know, I I run a business too, and I increasingly, you know, last year I was doing prototyping on Figma, but this year, that's fine. And the year before, I was designing like five hundred screens and stuff. So the gradually, the more business is growing, the more 
I'm not being involved in the Figma files anymore. This year, yeah. I I just go into a meeting, like give some inputs and like sort of try to lead the team and not micromanage them, which is <laughs> pushing pushing me more on the on the entrepreneurial and business side, and not yeah. on the making things, which I feel the need sometimes for like you know pulling up my sleeves and getting involved into something which I right, totally right, yeah. which I totally understand yeah. why you are making things because like yeah. you're like it's not fair everyone else is designing but I'm not designing right, anything right. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah no one one person once told me like I asked the CTO of we transfer once like how do you do it how do you kind of how did you kind of quit all the fun technological stuff and how do you kind of still get energy from the type of work where it's less direct? Like you say, you're not in the Figma file anymore. And he told me that um, there's this thing where if you build like a system that actually mm-hmm. produces good stuff, which I think you're doing with your company, which I'm trying to do here at Feed, um, that can be fulfilling in its own right. Mm-hmm. So. I'm trying to to channel that, and then sometimes I'm like looking at Slack, or I'm looking at I'm in a meeting where people are presenting new stuff, and I'm like, okay, I might not directly build this, but I've I've hired the people, I've I've built the teams, helped them with the strategy and the context and the goal setting that got them there, and that's 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 still quite exciting. I think so too. I mean, it's the as you said it nicely. Like a developer on a daily basis, they solve problems, they they code, they push things, and they see the effect of their work directly daily, and they can get that yeah. dop- dopamine uh, that they need to get through the day, and like you know, that sort of like tell themselves that we have accomplished something. But for us, it's more like as you said it nicely, it's like a system thinking. Like like you need to. Yeah. You need to lay the good, like lay the foundation for the processes for how teams should work together, hire the right people, and then see how it, yeah, like creates results. So it has delayed effect. You may not see the result today. You may you may see it a year from now. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. One thing I like to just now we are talking about this, uh, I would like to sort of like get your thoughts on this is that to build to to be to be a really good product, like I think Vid is has been a product that continuously improved. Like I don't know how to ex- explain it. I know that from first days that we were using it, it was buggy, but still very does did very something very delivered something really essential for our team that we kept using it but as we use it it evolved and evolved and evolved talk to me about the importance of hiring right people the importance of putting together a good team how like it, sort of like the leader aspect of the product uh, being a product leader yeah for sure for sure so like I said, right, I, I, I can't build a product anymore. So the way way I, I have to impact it is by by setting a high-level strategy and then bringing in teams and, and getting them to work on, on the biggest problems and the, the, the biggest, the most important things. So, yeah, it's crucial for me, I guess. That's why I, I said earlier, like, I'm practically a recruiter. Um, I think one of the, the most important things is, like, 
getting uh, people to take ownership of some of the areas of the product that I trust and that are smarter than me and then can help their drive that area forward. So we've been lucky enough to make some really, really good hires over the past few years um, that have really been able to help help us thrive. And especially I think in product, hiring a good pre-M is such a key thing because they are going to be able to you know, manage a part of the product. So for example, we have uh, one of our most popular features is our subtitling. And um, it's a very small thing. And um, at a certain point, we were like, it's so important for us that we actually want to build a team around just that thing. And I was a little scared, you know, maybe it's too boring or something. We've got a really nice PM and they started on it. And it's it's become like, I didn't know you could do so much with subtitles. And, uh, and it's really, you know, grown so much uh, because they they were they took ownership and started driving it forward. So it's it's been that's been really great, and we've done that across many areas of our of our product. And mm. yeah, that's why, in my opinion, you know, finding that that leader that can actually take ownership and drive it forward, that will do the research, execute, build the features, energize the team. It's it's yeah, it's key, and and also the other way around. Like if it, if you don't hire the right person, it's really mm-hmm. gonna slow you down. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, like what kind of attributes, character, like character traits, you're looking into when you want to hire your next product lead? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think there's like two two things that I really value, and then a lot of small things. But the two big things is like. Are they motivated? Because I think motivation and being excited about what you're building is the key to figuring the process out and everything else. So are they motivated? Are they hungry? Are they, you know, willing to to spend a lot of time thinking about these problems? Are they do they find us interesting enough? Right. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know, sometimes I speak to people that come from fintech and they don't really find find Veet very exciting. They just treat it as a as a, any other tech company, which is fair, but I don't think you're going to come up with really innovative ideas then. Mm. So yeah, definitely looking at the motivation piece. And then once you're motivated, once you're very excited about what you're building and stuff like that, I yeah. think it's about figuring out how to build it. So I'm looking for people that can learn really well, that are very resourceful, that are willing to you know dive very deep and figure something out. I think the type of problems we have at Veet are quite unique sometimes. So mm-hmm. we can't really find somebody out there that has been through the same problem before. So we have to figure it out ourselves. So that's like the two main traits. And then often what I try to do is when when the team I'm looking for somebody for is a specific team, I'm trying to look at are the specific experiences that this person can have in their past that can really translate very well to Veet. So mm-hmm. for example... We're currently hiring somebody for our artificial intelligence team. And I'm definitely looking for a PM there that has a bit of a technical background and understands AI, finds it very interesting. Uh, but that kind of skill set is not really necessary for some of the other roles we have. So, uh, yeah, really looking also at the scope of the thing that they will be, uh, they will be managing. What's your take on, you know, um, non-technical PMs? Um, yeah, I... I think uh, I'm totally up for non-technical PMs. I think the, the the thing that a PM needs to do, you 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 need to be able to have really good discussions 
yeah. with your tech team and with your design team and sometimes with people that you don't know really well, mm -hmm. like maybe your customers that have work in a very strange industry that you don't know much about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why the resourcefulness is so important. I think a PM needs to understand these people, for example, the technical people really, really well. And that often means that they need to be technical themselves. But I think sometimes you have PMs that understand technology well enough mm -hmm. um, that they, uh, they don't need that. So, I mean, you don't need to know how to program an API to be able to understand what an API is or an SDK or all these technical terms. So if PMs know that without having that background, I'm totally up for it. Um, and sometimes we find PMs that have another expertise. So, for example, the person that's currently managing our editor group, mm -hmm. she's um, she comes from a photography background. So she's mm -hmm. really creative. She really understands the visual side of things. And that's mm -hmm. just as important as, as a technical background, in my opinion. So I like technical backgrounds, but I think if you have something to make up for it or you understand technical stuff without having ever been an engineer, I'm, I'm totally, totally game. I totally feel you. Um, let me ask you a follow-up question. Hiring the right people is key, is core to create a competitive product team. But how do you keep these guys around? Yeah, I think I think that's a problem we we've we've not yet faced so much at Feed because the the people at Feed, the great people that we hire, like Feed is growing so fast, like. Um, we have millions of users now and we're growing like really fast. So I think the the amount of teams and people that we can hire grows all the time. So that's very exciting as a, like, for example, that editor, the person that runs our editor group, she was first running just one team and now she's running like four teams. And that's just because the company grew and grew. So for, for, for her, the, the challenges are constantly changing and, and that keeps you very excited. Um, and I think, yeah, being part of a growing company that's in its uprise, most people find that exciting. So mm. for us, it's not yet been a big challenge to keep people in. I think, yeah, almost everybody that I consider really good has stayed with Veet. Uh, so, um, so that's, that's great. And I think over time, you know, obviously we need to treat people really well. Uh, but yeah. I think most people, they come to work. Uh, especially our type of work because they think the problem is interesting. They think the type of thing they're working on is fulfilling and exciting. Mm -hmm. So as long as we're working on fulfilling and exciting stuff, I think most people will, will, uh, will, will go along for the ride. Is there such a, like a, a discussion? I'm curious to, that you guys had internally how to avoid macro micromanaging because like that's often the, the problem with like, you know, teams or like a startup that as soon as they grow they want to like incorporate all these okr craps and google stuff that actually they they are the same they are the they are the methods and methodologies that make these companies big companies less creative so i don't know why all these startups want to be all of a sudden be less creative with the tools that these bigger companies are using i don't get it so um i, I just what's your take on um sort of like because it's always like the, the the issue here is like the startups are very such a lucrative places to work at because you get a lot of responsibilities you have you have like you know you have a sense of authority because you know most 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 of the time the founders and they, they're not like they don't have 
they don't have this managerial experience you know they just they just like work around the clock to raise more money and like you know survive and all this so this that's why i still to this day after being 13 years in the in the in the industry i love working with startups i love to be in the startup scene so what's your take on this how do you how what kind of what level of awareness you guys the your the leadership team has towards ensuring that you know we as it grows still feels like you know a startup that everyone has you know good level of responsibilities and space to make mistakes and try new things yeah that's a that's a great question and i think that's something that's keeping me busy quite a bit Mm. um i think it's about the the environment that you create for your teams so Mm. um if you give people responsibility, you need to ask yourself, am I actually giving you this responsibility? Mm. Um, so it starts with hiring the people that you trust with their responsibility. But then from there, one of the things that I tell all the PMs that join on their first day, I tell them like, hey, listen, you own this now. When it's not working, I will go to you. When it's working, I'll be uh, cheering for you. Um, you can kind of do whatever you want. We have some bigger goals that we want to work towards. But in the the nuances you you can figure that out and i really encourage you to take risks and not be risk averse so if you i I really want you to make me angry with you at some point because you shipped (laughs) something that i don't approve of or that i'm like oh shit what's this why do we do this um i think that's the kind of thing that i encourage my team to do and um yeah, that, that, that's also kind of, I think, the way we work at Feet. We're quite hands-off in leadership. Um, we, we don't really believe in a lot of process or stuff like mm-hmm. that. I think it slows things down often. I do think it's good to keep people in check. So I'm, I'm all for having goals that reflect whether something is working or not. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I think overall it's, it's really about making sure that a team can operate on their own and and, and taking blockers away and supporting them. So what we also encourage teams to do, every PM, every designer at V, they talk to users all the time so that they are really masters of the problems that they're solving. Mm -hmm. So that when I ask them, why is this like this? Or why 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 did you put the button on the top right? They will tell me, well, we spoke to users and they couldn't find this feature or... Um, we noticed this and um, yeah, I think that's the, the type of discussion that you want to have with your team, mm-hmm. uh, but also just leave them to it. Like let them do what they think is best. And when they ask for feedback, I'm always happy. I always have feedback, obviously, but I think, um, yeah, they, in order to scale as a company, we need to distribute a lot of the responsibilities throughout the company. That's very mature. I really appreciate that you sort of like, uh, share this with us i think i think it's generally the more when i talk to pms designers that they well product leads and design leads that they were in the trenches they were crafty before they have such a easier way easier there are easier letting go and let teams take responsibility. I don't know yeah. how. There's a correlation here that I cannot really explain. But I feel like 
if you were involved in building things and you know how hard it is and how much mistakes you make, you sort of like have empathy towards your team. Maybe there, there's a justification. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. But I think it's because people want to be the boss they wish they had. Um, mm. So that, at least that's my, my philosophy to, to, uh, to leadership. Like when I, when I started doing leadership, um, I was confused and, and nervous about it. And then um, I, uh, I spoke to a coach and she said, like, listen, just be, you're going to lead people that are like you, but maybe like two years ago or maybe with some uh, less experience and be the person that you wish you had at that time. And um, I think for me, one of the things that I noticed when I was doing more PM work or even when I was doing engineering work is that uh, I could deal very poorly with people that had a lot of opinions about things uh, and were telling me that their opinion was right while mm -hmm. I was doing the work all the time and I was getting gathering the insights all the time and I knew more about the users maybe. So um, yeah, once I kind of grew into my role, that's something that I've tried to, to take along. I'm like, okay, if you're working on our recording feature set, you're going to be talking to those people every day that use that. Uh, I don't have the time to do that. I might talk to somebody once a week, but I don't have the time to do that every day. So, um, so then I think you have, uh, I, I just trust that you, you will make better decisions than I do. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't pay off, but I think that those, the, those failures are worth the, the gain that being a bit more hands-off uh, gives you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree too. I agree too. This it always pays off. Because at the end of the day, if if you let the teams to learn, to make mistakes, you know they will be motivated to fix it, like faster than anyone else. Like you know, just because they know that they made those decisions, they are seeing the result of their decisions live. And they're like, oh, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <Let's fix it. laughs> so big question I have is over a million users, competing user personas, different company de demographics, small, medium, big, on a strategic level, like in terms of, okay, what we are going to focus on this year, how do you sort of like manage this mess? How do you try to out of, I'm sure like in your whiteboard, in your, I don't know, in your mural, Miro, Figma jam, there are tons of tons of breakthrough <laughs> ideas waiting to be noticed. So how do you sort of like strategically like align the teams, align the product team, marketing to teams business how do we say okay where should we focus on that this year that if we really achieve those areas it will make a really significant difference in the out the trajectory of the business in the way customers uh, interact with us and so on yeah i love this question i love love talking about this um so yeah i think just before before i get into it like Focus is really key. And I think when feed started really taking off about like a year and a half ago, we noticed that we were taking on a lot of new things because we were like, everything's working. Whatever we, we ship, we, we, it, it becomes 
gold. It felt a little bit like that. But over time, we've noticed we, we started a bit too many things and we maybe spread ourselves too thin. And now in the past few months, we've really been trying to focus and get everybody to move in the same directions. And especially as the company has been growing and we've, you know, we didn't have a marketing team. Now we have a marketing team. We have a B2B team. We have all these teams and they all need to move into the same direction. So the way we, we went about this, and I think there's multiple ways to go about it. But uh, the way we went about it is we looked at our user base and we were like, mm-hmm. who are the people that are the most successful with Veed at the moment? Who are the most active people? Um, and we managed to kind of segment those. And then we were like, what are they using us for? Um, and, and we figured that out. And that, uh, and we, we went really deep into these people and we had long conversations with them and we tried to figure out what kind of company do you work for? How do you use Veed? How did you find out about Veed? We figured we know so much on them. And the thing is, they're what we call our ideal customer profile. They're the people that are the most successful with Veed at the moment. And we believe that if we meet Veed much better for that group, that group will grow because we know there's way more people with similar profile out there that don't become this active. And um, mm. we feel our business will grow as well because these people, they stay longer in the product. They are very likely to pay for it. So we really focus on this one audience and their use cases. And that's really what our strategy is all about. We tell every team, focus on this group and everything will be fine. Um, so, uh, and, and we track that group. We track their activity, their retention, all of those metrics that a lot of companies track for all of those users. We actually zoom into that group so that we um, have a good idea of like how, how we're moving ahead with this, with this strategy. I think we have m- millions of people that use Veed, but mm-hmm. many of them only come to make like a personal w- uh, like birthday video or vacation video or a wedding video. But yeah, most of us, we don't get married like multiple times a year or every week. So it's not really a use case that we can, we can build for and, and, and optimize for in the long term. So we're happy those people, for those people to come to Veed, but maybe those people shouldn't even pay. They should just be able to use Veed for free. And then the people uh, maybe like yourself that are using Veed for marketing and using Veed every week or even every day, those people, uh, we should figure out what they want, mm. make it better for them, more attractive. And also those people will, will make way more likely uh, pay us as well. And then within, within that paying customer cohorts, there are, there you got small businesses like us, 13, 14 people. I think we've got two, three accounts, users on Veed right now defined. Nice, nice. Um, then you've got like headcounts of 100 people growing companies. You've got then, if you go a bit higher, like you've got headcounts of 500,000. So do you, you have, within that cohort of paying customers, you have different uh, sort of like customers as well with different needs. So for example, I guess like for bigger companies, there are certain things that you have to include, especially around the topic of GDPR and privacy and all that, because bigger companies, they have to deal with all of this a lot. And then for smaller ones, they have like all sort of other needs, right? So how do you manage these nuances within the paying customers code? Yeah, yeah. So um, when we look at paying customers, we actually still focus on that ideal customer profile. So we focus mm-hmm. on the users that actually use us for specific 
use cases. Mm -hmm. um, but we see those across all these companies. We see those freelance mm -hmm. marketing agencies do this a lot. We see the bigger companies do it, small companies, everything. So um, why I said agencies is because they often have clients. They're not uh, like doing it for themselves. So that, that creates extra complexity and different needs. So what we noticed is that there's a lot of things that everybody has in common. So a lot of them want V to be faster, more stable, want, want a lot of kind of table stakes things that we need to build. So yeah, there you go. Everybody wants that. Every conversation we have, we hear that. And it, it really helps us to focus, right? That's some of the stuff that we should definitely do. Spend most of our time on that. And then when we talk to specific customers, we, 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 we kind of treat them group by group. So for example, right now we're spending a lot of time figuring out how can we make feed more attractive for larger businesses. Mm -hmm. um, and they have specific needs. Like you said, they have compliance needs. They often want so many people on our platform that we mm -hmm. need to have a, a way to have many workspaces on the platform, have different mm -hmm. roles. Maybe yeah. they have a brand that they want to keep consistent across all of their mm -hmm. videos. So we're releasing a lot of features for that specific audience as well. And we really build a team around that. That's mainly focused on that audience and, and working on them. Um, but I would almost say like most users are quite similar in what they like and dislike about Veed. Uh, I think larger businesses have an extra set of needs that every software company needs to kind of figure out uh, because you can figure that out in different ways. Uh, but we're, we're, we're doing that and, uh, and yeah, we've, we, we have some really happy larger customers as well. So, uh, it's quite exciting. And that's really cool. Cause like, you know, at the end of the day, what, what Vid offers really good is that you can bring your video, you get a subtitle going on, you can add effect to it. You can update the subtitle. You can add just the video, put things on it, effect and whatnot exported so that's a basically core functionality that it offers and everyone wants that yeah. in this crazy social media world <laughs> right so that's 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 shared between all your paying and non-paying customers exactly so you, now you have to sort of like optimize it for the needs of the paying customers and then around that core functionality you've got different teams enterprises yeah. they want multiple workforces and multiple teams like it's common. These are basically cherry on top of the icing that you need to add to the core functionality, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's how we do it. And, and what we also see is that a lot. What we also look at is like how, what what people's video flows are. So, for example, um, what we noticed is that a lot of people create videos in which they record themselves, uh, like we're doing right now, or recording their screens and stuff like that. And often that footage looks really shitty because they recorded it with some kind of random free tool that, uh, I don't know, makes it very pixely or that allows for very little customization and stuff like that. So we decided like, hey, let's build a recording tool as well that allows you to record yourself, uh, your screen, all of these things. Um, because we knew that a lot of our customers were already using tools like that, but just somewhere else and then bring that into V. So, uh, yeah, that's also kind of how we expand. Sometimes we look at, okay, what's your video process? What, what are the pain points right now? And how can we take more of that pain away? And then, you know, your neighboring, neighboring, well, product categories. So you've got, when you talking about a screen recording, you got Loom, 
when yeah, you yeah. talk about recording, you know, sort of like a conversation, you got Riverside. This is the same the software that you're using right now to record. <laughs> so you got like massive, massive, massive like neighboring product categories you can tap into that makes yeah. this a, such an exciting product to work on because the, there is basically the sky is, is the limit here in terms of uh, how we can expand with further on. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to expand. But like I said, we were, we're focusing. So we're trying to do a couple of things really well. Um, for example, Loom is really great for like what we call video messaging. Um, mm -hmm. So like mm. really recording something fast, sending it out to somebody. So it's like quite of a low quality video, but super frequent and super easy and low friction to make. Uh, love Loom, nothing against it. Um, uh, with V, the type of recordings that people make are often maybe more for something yeah. more uh, professional. So for example, uh, I was speaking to this user the other day and she was making like tutorials for her product uh, with Veed. Uh, so she's built this whole documentation site and every page has a nice video explaining how to use uh, their product. And I think that's the type of video that's kind of hard to create with a loom and, and really easy and, and streamlined to create with Veed. Another uh, another line of compet your competitors are not Loom or not Riverside. It's basically the the built in recording tools that are <laughs> within like Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, 100%. and then these are these are like fast moving product too because the the trends and needs of of their users evolving on tiktok it's crazy every day you go on tiktok something changed it's something new like they have yeah. now live recording that is just like crazy i i just cannot keep up with tiktok anymore so how do you compete with these guys because essentially if you want to essentially that's that's how i like prophesize or like hypothesize is that essentially they are going to offer what you are offering on beat but a bit more generalized already they are doing it but not as detailed as what you guys are doing but essentially they are going to get there right i mean that's how technology evolves so how are you guys comp you, you don't have even you don't you have competitors like riverside and loom but your bigger competitors are instagram tiktok and linkedin yeah yeah i think i think um in a way like you can call them competitors but on the on the end if you look at video um if you, you're in the subway, right? Everybody's on their phone. They're all looking at their phone. Like maybe 99% of the people in the subway is looking sure. at their phone. And then of that 99%, about 90% is looking at videos. Like they're looking at TikTok videos, Instagram videos, YouTube videos, LinkedIn videos, whatever. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of time and video being produced. And I don't think our, our goal at V to, is to kind of dominate all that creation. I think we're we're happy to say like, hey, okay, you're you're a super um, professional influencer like uh, Marcus Brownlee. Uh, you're probably gonna use the best gear out there, and you're probably gonna use maybe more professional tailored software, or like the small kid doing lip syncing videos on TikTok. Where we just use TikTok. It's great. Um, the audience we're focusing on is very much uh, often wants to create videos for multiple um, multiple social media platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. They want to get some brand consistency. They mm -hmm. want to get some um, 
they want to get specific engaging things like subtitles and progress bars. And you can do that in TikTok, but it's quite hard and it's quite a lot of manual work. And it's really hard to then invite your colleague and, and have them like uh, create the same type of videos with the same templates and stuff like that. So these types of people really gravitate towards feed. So for example, there's a couple of larger news outlets that use feed to publish videos about every article that they make. Um, and those are on all the big social media platforms, but those people that create those videos really, they, they focus, they, they use feed because it's easier to create it in one place and then expand over other places and also to keep it on brand and consistent. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, those people are coming to us and then there might be some people that love the green screen effect of TikTok, which is a little, you know, a little iffy, but it works. Uh, and they're happy to, to use that for making the, just TikTok. So yeah, that's okay. I love the answer because it's sort of like, I was, I was struck by your answer because it was, it has a good level of self-awareness of what weed is and how it's different from, Instagram, TikTok, and others. So I, th I, I love the answer because, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't need to be pleasing. No, not sometimes. You, you cannot please everyone. Like, you know, it's just, just difficult. Like, how can you pleasing everyone? You end up pleasing right. no one. Yeah. 100%. Like, I think if you look at cameras, it's the same, right? I'm, I'm recording right. this on my SLR at Sony. Uh, but that camera doesn't compete with my, my iPhone camera. Uh, it's just like my iPhone is the camera I have with me all the time. The Sony I use for more specific things. And then I also have a webcam that I use when I do Zoom calls. So I feel like with a lot, in a lot of product categories, there's a lot of winners. Like, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I think um, those winners are then winners within a specific segment that's building a specific type of product. And I think Veet, um, we're... I, I'm not sure if we're winners yet, but we're winners in the making of this like video marketing uh, uh, kind of work. And I think um, over time we'll we'll maybe try to win on other industries as well. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we can never be all the, the the only video editor anyone will ever need. So if one of the weed, uh, video, digital video making is one of the fastest moving space of digital applications. Like it's, I don't know if you, if you know, if I want to use an analogy, it's like a mixed martial arts of combat <laughs> sports, right? It's just like yeah, such yeah. a fast, fast moving space. Like it's not like a fintech that uh, the, the UX of it is very stable. You just need to have a good registration process to sell insurance products or like, you know, <laughs> banking solutions, right? That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. very like a bit like slower moving, but like we're talking about AI, we're talking about new video tools. We're talking about new trends, social, cultural trends. Yeah. Um, so like, for example, chat GBT came out like a few months ago, revolutionized everything and then put every productivity app in a position to react to it. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. sur surprisingly, I saw that Notion now introduced Notion AI that helps your documents. Yeah. Helps to summarize your document. And I was very surprised by how much they were ready for, as if like they were predicting this is going to happen and we need to yeah, have an AI so solution. Cool. So cool. So what I'm trying to say is like in this fast moving space, competing is not easy and you always need to have an eye on trends and sort of like you yeah. need to have an understanding of where the where the space the industry is going 
and you need to have some like solutions or like some surprises in your pocket so you don't get like sort of like knocked out by something that came out and you didn't have it under your radar. So how do you go about like sort of like toying with exploring with new trends? Yeah, I think uh, it starts with like, you know, now figuring out what the trends are. I think a lot of mm. us at Feed are, are on Twitter a lot. We are, we have a video creation team within Feed and a lot of us create videos ourselves. So we kind of mm. know what's happening in both the tech industry and uh, the content creation industry. We're, we're just people in those industries. So we're, we're in the known in a way. Uh, and then it's about, you know, how can we, can we uh, experiment fast and validate ideas fast? And I think uh, it really depends on the type of idea. But one of the things that we, we often do, uh, which is, is I don't really ever hear people talk about this, is we look at search traffic a lot to figure out hmm. is something kind of a trend that's like been building up or is it like a hype? And how many people are actually interested in something like this? So for example, a while back, I was uh, I was recording a video myself, and I was noticing that I found it very hard to figure out how to read uh, what was on the video. So we, I was like, we should maybe we should make a is there like a teleprompter thing that we could do for the Mac or in the browser? And I was like, oh, maybe we can integrate that in feed in a feed recorder. So. Uh, and then I was like, maybe that's something, maybe not. And then we did research into how many people were actually searching for those types of things. And we saw quite some traffic. And then we looked at what was on Google and all the tools were shit. So we were like, okay, you know, this is actually something. Um, it's yeah. happening. We don't know if it's big. We, we, we try to validate whether it's big and how hard it is to, to become number one on Google for that thing. Um, and that's really often how we, how we, validate ideas before we start working on it at feed we try to look at, at search traffic um and and that's worked really well actually uh because for example with like chat gtp um yeah. ai is super interesting for video obviously and we already yeah. have some ai features but uh like i think on twitter i saw a lot of people talking about like generating videos um which sounds very exciting but when i did research onto that i didn't see a lot of people like looking for that at this moment so i feel like that might not be something that people are actually looking for it's more of a, of a gimmick where there are specific things that we're building around ai right now that i think will blow people away because it's really augmenting and helping their current with solving their current problems so i think it's always easy to get very distracted in what's the next big thing. Um, and I don't know with Notion as well, right? Like I love the AI, the idea that they put AI in their tool so quickly, but I'm not sure if people actually need this type mm -hmm. of AI to, mm -hmm. to make it valuable. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a user, so I will probably notice myself quite, uh, quite soon. Um, but it's really about, you know, is this technology or this trend actually something that's here to stay? And if so, how can we make it part of our, of our, of our product in a, in a good way? I love the I love how you sort of like you sort of like start validating ideas first of all like looking to trend to see whether there is actual trend around it and I I think it's yeah. a really fantastic way of like it's especially early stage validation of like an idea talking about the fast experimentation let's say like you you went to the Google and see that there is trend you look into other areas you see the competitors and you say oh, okay there is something here we need to explore right uh, how do how do you then uh, explore that idea internally like 
do you go like building the whole thing? Like what's your, what's your, like, is there like a methodology or approach or philosophy you are following to sort of like testing thing, test these things internally first before like committing to it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely experiment in house with specific things. So uh, we were working on mobile app and then we, we had some mobile prototypes that we used internally before we kind of started rolling that out to, to users um we we do this a lot um and we try to kind of have these stages right like is it we try to uh define these milestones on which mm -hmm. we have like kind of go no go moments uh to figure out whether we should actually proceed um so we do that a lot internally but also sometimes externally so for example mm -hmm. we have a lot of like simple one pager tools that uh you can find um and um a lot of products actually start there and then uh, we see if people are liking the way we approached it. And then we are integrating that more within our product because often it's quite, it's, it's, hard, it's easier to get that off the ground. You don't, you're not slowed down by, by having to make it work with everything you already have. Uh, so you can learn quite quickly um, and then over time uh, integrate it. So we definitely take an experimental approach. We throw away a lot of stuff as well that we don't think is, is valuable enough. Sam, uh, I want to be cautious of time. It's been five, 55 minutes of solid conversation, right? It feels um, like we just started. <laughs> we just started, like round two. No, we yeah. loved it. I, I was expecting to have a conversation like this together because I think uh, from one maker to another maker, it's always easy to have this conversation. But I want to be cautious about your time. I think 55 minutes is fantastic. Um, 2023 started. Uh, how do you look at it? What what are your like sort of like uh, things that you're looking forward to? Any last minutes? Any last words for the for the audience? Well, I think for for Fee 2023 is a really big year. I think um, last year we raised money, and this year we finally like it took a year to really build a great, well functioning machine and team. So yeah, we have some really exciting stuff into the, in the pipeline that will make the lives of our users much much easier in the mobile area in ai collaboration there's so much coming from veed um that's that's really really exciting i'm just i think for for veed right now for my my work is to kind of head down and grind and figure and, and and build all these exciting things um so yeah I'm, I'm quite excited about that i hope by the end of this year i'll be like wow did you know how little things we had at the beginning of the year and that would make me maybe quite happy yeah can I can I invite you to, uh, to have another part two at the end of the year and sort of look back? Yeah, uh, let's do it. I'd be curious. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do a retro. See, see how far we got. See, see, got see if I'm still laughing then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to uh, definitely. I mean, and then I can give feedback of on on how Weed IO has been for us this year. Was it was it good? Was it not? How's your AI doing for us or not? Right, right. <laughs> next year, next time we record on V. Uh, Yo, you got next it. Next year, <laughs> cool man. Yeah, it's good talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, appreciate it. Have a lovely weekend. And until next episode, folks, keep looking. We have lots of episodes you can listen to. Ciao. Bye bye.